May I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. See what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? What's around the river bend? Waiting just around the river Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to the Movie Musical Shakedown. I am one of your hosts, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog, and I am thrilled that you're joining us here today on this podcast. Very exciting, special podcast, episode number 19 of this show. I cannot believe we've gotten this far already with so many more movie musicals to talk about, but it's been a fun ride thus far. Today, we're dipping back into the Walt Disney animation uh, movie musical well, so to speak, and uh, we are doing 1995's Pocahontas. Now, I easily could have probably done Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Lion King, probably gone back even further than that, but I wanted to do Pocahontas because it definitely requires an interesting, insightful conversation, and there are really great things about this movie, and there are also things that are pretty questionable, to say it least, I guess you could say, to put it lightly. And I wanted to have a conversation about all those different things under the umbrella. Talk about the good, the bad, and of course the ugly when it comes to this movie. And this was not considered, I I think, an iconic Disney movie by any stretch of imagination. I think it's kind of a mid-range movie. I think its historical inaccuracies, left and right, really mar the the overall, you know, film itself, and we're going to get into all those different things. I have an incredible guest co-host this week with me. Her name is Melody Nicolette. She's an incredible writer and performer in her own right, and she has done some really, really insightful pieces for us here at Onstage Blog over the past couple of years, and, uh, you know, she has a really, really awesome lineage connection, ancestral connection with this story. And that's exactly why I wanted to have her on this podcast. And you're going to hear me probably say that a lot during this show, uh, being so thankful that she's with us because, again, she brings a lot of perspective and knowledge and things that I was not even thinking about when watching this film. So I really hope this is an interesting episode for you. It's definitely entertaining. It's talking about a, a, a Disney film, which, again, I think it sparks a lot of good discussion. And it's a it's a worthwhile discussion. So here you go. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Melody Nicolette, and we're going to break it all down. We're going to be talking about the good, the bad, the ugly. When it comes to Pocahontas, we're going to give out some awards. We are changing the name of some awards, and we'll explain that a little bit you know, later on why. Um, but it should be a fun one. So like I said, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. But of course, first, as always, here's the trailer. 
For the first time ever on two-disc DVD, in its spectacular 10th anniversary edition, Disney's legendary classic, Pocahontas. I look once more just around the river bend. With two versions of the film, the original theatrical release and the new 10th anniversary edition, featuring the song If I Never Knew You with never-before-seen animation. If I never knew you. If I never felt this love. Plus, explore an exciting new world of exclusive bonus features. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like it. It's Disney's most enchanting tale of adventure. Fun. <laughs> and courage. We will destroy these invaders. For the first time ever on two-disc Disney DVD. And I can't leave you. No matter what happens, I'll always be with you. Forever. Pocahontas 10th Anniversary Edition. Own it today. And we're back. And I am now joined by one of my, like, first of all, good friends, Melody Nicolette. But Thank also, what, I, I, I'm just going to get that out of the in, in the clear first of all. But also, one of the best writers that we have here at Onstage Blog. And if you, oh, any of you, thanks. absolutely, <laughs> if any of you out there listening have ever li- read any of her pieces um, on the blog, I mean, they're enlightening, they're educational, um, they belong in textbooks. And I am like, I'm always really, really excited when she tells me that she's writing something or about to send me something because I know it's going to be a good read. So, welcome to the movie musical shakedown, Melody. I'm so happy to have you on this on this show right now. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh my gosh. And th- you know, this week we are doing I guess you could say a very special Disney <laughs> movie so to speak. This is the second Disney uh animated movie musical we're doing by the way. The first was Hercules, but I figured the next one it should be at least an interesting conversation. And we're doing Pocahontas. And it's ni- 1995's Pocahontas. And <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I wanted to have Melody on this podcast, folks, is not only because she is incredibly insightful when it comes to breaking not only, um, you know, musicals down and music and thinking about composition, because she is also a recording artist, which, you know, we might talk about later on the podcast, we'll see. Um, but also, she has some pretty amazing connections with this story as well. Melly, could you tell the folks listening a little bit about your relationship to Pocahontas herself? So um, on my paternal side, um, well, I'm indigenous on both sides, but for the purposes of, of the podcast, um, my paternal side is First Nations Abenaki, um, which is from Maine, Canada, New Hampshire, you know, the North. Mm. Um, and we are part of the Algonquin speaking nations. So we're part of the Algonquian language group, which is linguistically related to the Powhatan people and to um, the Powmonkey people who are Pocahontas's people. So Pocahontas and I are linguistically related. Um, she, we can, we refer to her as grandmother Matalaga, which was her 
Matalaka was her real name. Um, and I also have a degree in American Indian Studies from San Francisco State University. I have a bachelor's degree. I graduated with high honors. And my emphasis was in constitutional law and our Native American relationship with our extra constitutional status in constitutional law. So when Chris announced that he was going to do this episode, I'm like, oh, maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> Let's maybe, just, I let's, do this one. maybe we should do this one. And and let's be honest, you're like way overqualified to be doing this podcast as well. <laughs> so um again, no, I'm I'm really, really thrilled to have you on here because there's a lot of important things to talk about this movie. And I think there there are lessons to be learned, and I think there are is also some praiseworthy things about this movie. There are some cringeworthy things about this movie. So it's definitely a mixed bag so to speak, when you when you go back and, and watch this. Uh, Melanie, what, what was the first time you saw this movie and, and what was your initial reaction to it? Um, well, when they first started talking about this movie, they congratulated themselves a lot about having done a lot of research and they used a commercial that was the entirety of the Colors of the Wind segment. Mm, that's right. So... I mean, I saw Native Woman, and she was dark-skinned, which was the other thing that was exciting. Um, and, you know, the animation was beautiful, and I was really excited. And honestly, when my cousins and I, collectively, I think we saw this movie like five or six times in the theaters. Because Whoa. after the first time we saw it, we were like, this is not what we thought it was going to be. But it makes it great. I mean... I was eight years old and we were like, this is a great joke. But like now as an adult, I'm like, this is still a joke, but it's not as funny. <laughs> a joke in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So when you rewatched it uh, for the purposes of this podcast and, and any, actually anytime since, what are some of the things that have jumped out to you that, that first of all, you probably didn't notice before, but really, you know, looking at now have a complete different impact on you. Hmm. Well, I mean, consciously, we've always been aware that this is not the real story and like the absurdity of Pocahontas being interested in John Smith because she was a child at the time, but also because Disney's John Smith's very interesting. <laughs> so, um, I mean, there are other things that I noticed, like I went back and I watched the making of segment again and, you know, it talks about how they talk about how they went back and they did a lot of consultation with Russell Means, who is Lakota. And I thought that was interesting because he's not Powhatan Pamunkey. And even though they had talked to the Powhatan Pamunkey people, like, why were they relying on Russell Means? For... <laughs> and actually, uh, you, you just brought up a good point. So for, the fo for, for, for people that are listening that don't understand kind of how that works, what would, would that be the, the equation of asking, like, a French person to consult on Irish history. Is that, is that kind of like the, as the it's far gap? Like friend, a French person talking about Belgium history. I mean, there, there's obviously some overlap, but you know, the Lakota, Nakota, Dakota people speak a completely different language. They're in a completely different part of the country. And there were some things that, you know, do apply to a lot of us, you know, having our houses all face, the east for the sun and he did make a point about having the the native people address each other by their relationship with each other versus their name which is very traditional and i'm actually very grateful that they included that but i was like 
why would they ask Russell Means? I mean, Russell Means has the, had the voice of God, so right. I guess if you're going to listen to anybody. Well, I think it's it's just interesting. I mean, it, what was interesting is after this movie came out, and there was initially some backlash about the uh, the way that you know Native Americans were were portrayed in this. Um, you know, he he would kind of came out and said like, no, no, this is like the, one of the most accurate portrayals we've ever seen on screen, <laughs> and. And it was like maybe from his perspective, but now that you just kind of told me that, I can see why there would be that kind of like confusion because it's like, no, no, you weren't part of that that tribe and, the, and those customs and things like that. So I, I completely, it's all making sense to me now why there might be some of that that backlash there. Wow, interesting. I mean, interesting. when he was the leader of the American Indian movement, he, I mean, he did a lot for Native people, but also he did downplay a lot of contributions from non-Plains people. I mean, mm. it's just... Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, I think when I saw this movie, um, I, I saw it a little bit later. I did not see it in its original theatrical run i actually saw it after it had come out on on vhs and um definitely walked away kind of confused i guess <laughs> it's the best way to put it uh i think i was like I, well it came out when i was 14 i probably didn't see it till i was about 15 16 and i was just like oh okay this is a little weird it's not what i learned in history class but um you know there were some things that I liked about it. I remember that when they did the whole kind of premiere, it was this huge primetime event. They actually played it in Central Park. I don't know if you remember that. They made this oh, huge, no. yeah, they made this huge big deal promotional push that it was going to be like the big summer movie. And they actually did the official premiere in Central Park and you know, thousands of people came out. They did a concert of all the music before. I mean, it's Disney. They're going to do this whole big spectacle thing. And then it was just like, man, the movie was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's a year after Lion King. So everybody's kind of expecting something, you know, huge and big. And it just was kind of like, all right, it was, it was okay. And it did, it did okay at the box office. But um, looking back on it, there are a couple of things that, you know, before we get into obviously talking about some of the, problems of the film and 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 there are a lot of them you know objectively um <laughs> maybe i'm being too polite who's who knows but i did think there were some good things that this movie did or at least was trying to accomplish the first was that this was the first disney animated film that was centered on a woman of color which i thought was you know, yeah, this is the very first one that where a woman of color is the central figure of the film, and that was in 1995. So I'm like, good for them. <laughs> I was like, I okay. guess because Jasmine wasn't the focus. Correct. Yes. Yes. That's so and crazy. Technically, Ariel really? is a fish, so that doesn't really count. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that, that was I was really interested to, to hear that. Um, yeah, I think. The first, per, like the first person of color, I think it was Mowgli in the Jungle Book. That was like the first one, and, and then this was the f the first female. So, um, so that I thought was a cool accomplishment for 1995. Good for them. Um, I also, you know, being someone who is very conscious now of whitewashed casts and things like that, I was really pleased to see that every single uh, Native American voice character was oh, voiced yeah. by a Native American actor. I thought that was outstanding. And I was like, like, thank God. <laughs> we had two really important figures in the Native community, too. Um, obviously, Russell Means. Mm. but And um, the, the the man who plays um, the medicine person is, um, I think his name is Gordon Tutusis. Like, he was also an activist. 
Um, also, Michelle Miss. I, I, I have a really hard time with her name. Michelle St. John, who plays um, her friend Nokomis. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. She is an amazing act. I mean, they were all really amazing, but, you know, she um, was part of before she did Pocahontas, she did a movie as a child or like a preteen about the residential schools in, in the U.S. and Canada. Oh, really? Yeah. And she's totally, you know, she's a beautiful actor. She was also the woman. She was one of the women in Smoke Signals who was driving the backwards car. Oh, okay. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're right. No, we don't drink anymore. We only drink Coca-Cola. Yeah, her. Um, so then she's totally anonymous in this movie as like Nakoma, who's actually like a narc and like super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she really, it's like, we'll talk about her, her faults and her, I mean, she basically. And her amazing... haircut. Right. <laughs> First of all, yeah, so, that we're the, the, I didn't know that bangs were in style then. I, I had no idea. Uh, Actually, it she has a Navajo Danae hairstyle. Really? Yeah. And that was one of the first things I noticed as a kid seeing the movie was that her hair is not traditional. And it, first off, she and Pocahontas do not look Algonquin. They they don't look Algonquin at all. Um, Nakoma looks Hopi, Navajo, and Pocahontas looks Alaska Native because she looks like Irene Bedard. Yes. Who is beautiful and Alaska Native and, you know, stunningly beautiful. But we don't look alike at all. Alaska Natives and Algonquin people don't look alike at all. Interesting. And that was the thing that really, even when I was a little kid, I was like, this bothers me. Because all the other people in the village look Algonquin. They have those really strong features and the way that their hair is worn traditional. Like, you know, even her father, like... Powhatan looks very Eastern Seaboard, Algonquin, you know, that face where if you didn't know them, like, you'd think they'd, like, mess you up. But in reality, you know, when they smile, like, they're the biggest softy. But, yeah, you know, that's that's one of the little things that has wow. always bugged me. See, this is this is why I had you on this podcast. So, um, <laughs> And it's funny. I, I'm not going to get into it just a second because I got a, a surprise for you later on. Oh, There's- no. <laughs> There are reasons why, beyond just the fact that she kind of resembles Irene Bedard, of why Pocahontas looks and is drawn the way she is, and I—it's an interesting conversation. So I can't wait. To, I can't wait oh, to no, share this with Naomi Campbell. Can we talk about Naomi Campbell? We can talk about it now. That's fine. Okay, let's talk about it now because I was going to bring it up, and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> let's bring it up. So, folks, for those of you who don't know, when they were trying to figure out how to design these characters um not only did they look at i mean alaskan natives they also looked at filipino women for to design this character uh the look of pocahontas but they also brought in supermodels christy turlington kate moss and naomi campbell which (laughs) none of them i believe are in any way shape or form have any sliver of native american uh lineage to them um and uh, it, it was just such a weird choice. But yet, when you watch certain frames of this movie, you see it. Like, you really do see a Christy Turlington, Kate Moss look, uh, a Naomi Campbell pose, or, you know, it's it was weird. What, what were your thoughts on that, Melody? Um, well, first off, like, that was, when we were kids, like, that was a big joke that Pocahontas is going to throw her phone at any point in time. Um, 
But if you go back and you look at Glenn Kane's original drawings, like never once, and I love Glenn Kane. I think he's a genius, but he really did not do what I feel he's, he did not meet his full potential with this film in a lot of ways because none of the illustrations, and I've seen them, like they've been at the Walt Disney Museum and stuff, you can find them online. None of them really look native. Wow. They look Middle Eastern, they look Filipina, they look... There's one drawing that they had at the Walt Disney Museum that looked like a young girl that was mixed African descent and native, and she was the only one that looked native, but the rest of them, not at all. Not at all. Wow. Not Unbelievable. at all. Unbelievable. A couple more things that I think were praiseworthy about this movie i guess you could say um i think the environmentalist message that's you know throughout the entire film is fantastic i think again way ahead of its time uh especially nowadays with you know global warming and climate change being a hot topic you know this was a movie 34 years ago 24 years ago uh that was really making that case for that and also i think what's also an interesting um distinction for disney was this was the first animated movie in their collection that was actually based on a real person now granted they took a lot of liberties <laughs> with their story but you know i'll give them some a couple snaps to the fact that they actually base this on our, an actual person and and also i think some of the music in this the movie is actually pretty good and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later as well but those were like the big things for me that i felt like okay at least let's you know let's be objective and honest and say, okay, there were some good things about this movie and some nice things that they were attempting with this movie. But, you know, I think there, there's a lot of other things to, to really kind of pick apart about it as well. Anything else from you, Melody, before we move on to the next topic? Um, I do think that I always tell myself that it could have been worse. It could have been Peter Pan. Yes. Um, it could have been teepees and totem poles. So at least the houses look like Algonquin house structures. I will give them that. The other thing that i will give them and i like it pains me to give them anything but the fact that pocahontas is so willful and strong-willed if anyone out there who's listening knows an algonquin wampanoag abenaki pow monkey pow hat woman like anyone in that language group you know our women are incredibly strong-willed like, it might be, like, patriarchal and, like, our lineage is traced to our father and, like, it's very men making a lot of noise and being masculine and doing men things. But our women are incredibly strong women and incredibly willful women and vocal women. And um, one of the things I liked is that she was not there for John Smith's white tears or his white feelings. Like, when he said something stupid, she was like, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Oh my gosh, you're right. And we're Incredible. all like that, just letting everyone know, like all Algonquin women are like. I so. love it. Well, believe me, I, I believe you. And I think the two years that I've known you, um, <laughs> that's been proven <laughs> time after time again. So amazing though. That's awesome. See, again, this is, this is stuff I had no idea of. So moving on to our next session, folks, sometimes there are some things that happen behind the scenes and development of these movies that never really make it to the public eye. And 
you know, sometimes decisions are made um, months in advance that kind of change the course of these movies. So I like to call this section behind the scenes stories. I'll probably come up with a better title for it later on, but that's what it is for now. Um, and I, I basically did some research into some things that were being planned or ideas that were being thrown around in the development of this movie. Um, and I wanted to kind of get Melody's, first of all, her genuine reaction to some of this stuff. Oh, but also, no. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but also some of the, uh, her insight and reaction of, of would this movie have been better? Would this movie have been worse? Who knows? So the first one I've got for you, Melody. Oh, boy. Is a, I know, right? So even though in his in a historical sense that John Smith was actually a worse human being, um, they chose, the, the creators of this movie chose to make Ratcliffe the villain based solely on the fact that his name was Ratcliffe and it sounded like a villain. So... Um... What do you think? I don't that? blame them. Really? I mean, I've seen hip pictures or like illustrations or contemporary images of like historical Radcliffe. And I'm like, this guy looks pretty douchey. He looks like he could be a villain. Fits the bill. It <laughs> <laughs> fits the bill. Like, all right. I don't mind that. I don't like that they gave him a bunch of gay coding like they do with a lot of their villains, but he was also played by real life gay man David Ogden Sires. Who brought a lot of himself to it? So I guess I will. It, it can. I'm okay, as okay yeah. as I can be with that. Okay. So. All right. Here's another one for you. Originally, instead of the um, Miko or Mika, is Miko the raccoon? The animal sidekick was going to be a voiced, wisecracking turkey named Red Feather. And it was going to be voiced by John Candy. But since John Candy had died a year before the movie was released, they decided to actually scrap the character entirely, which is why we got just simply a raccoon. Um, what are your thoughts on on a wisecracking, talking turkey, Red Feather, possibly being in this movie? Um, so I did know that. Whoa, um, okay. I did. I'm a big Disney nerd. I'm a Dis nerd. Like I pretend that I'm cool, but I'm really not. Um, I did know about that, and I'm so grateful because there's only so much of John Candy that I could take in Rescuers Down Under. That's right. I completely forgot he's in the albatross in Rescuers Down Under, and he kind of like overstayed his character's welcome. So I'm not, I'm not grateful that he passed away or anything like that, but I'm very grateful that they chose to take out the talking, potentially offensive um, turkey. It just, it just seems like a weird animal to, to put in there. And uh, the, I thought the raccoon made much more sense. Um, the raccoon was... does make sense, actually. Right? Um, all the, because for Algonquin people, our trickster character is a raccoon. For the Abenaki, we, it's Azaban the raccoon. Um, sometimes it's Wolverine if you go farther north. But um, yeah, that's wow. just yeah. So I don't know what the Powhatan people call raccoon, but for us, our trickster, one of our, we have a lot of tricksters. One of our trickster characters is the raccoon. So incredible. See this again. Oh my gosh, folks! If this was a drinking game. <laughs> Uh, take a shot every time I say, this is why I had you on this podcast. Uh, this is why you're perfect for this podcast. So there you go. Um, wow. Interesting, interesting stuff. Okay. So here's another one I have for you. Apparently, um, Stephen Schwartz, who was brought on to do the lyric work uh, for this film, had actually quit theater altogether 
at around this time and was actually studying psychology at NYU and then got hired by Disney to come on and do this film. So let me ask you this, based on his lyric work in Pocahontas, should he have stayed retired? Um, I don't know if Pocahontas would have made me say, hey, stay retired. Um, because then he went on to go do Hunchback after this, I think. Correct. Yep. Um, so definitely like Hunchback was great. I, I do have a lot of feelings about his lyric work in this movie because some of it is great. And then some of it is like, f- first of all, Blue Corn Moon is not a thing. It does not exist. And he's even said, like, I just thought it sounded cool. Like, it doesn't actually exist in any Native culture. And it's like, like, Native people know that. And we're always like, ooh, every time. It's like you one know, of the because... famous lyrics of that time, too. Like, that's that's a memorable lyric. Wow. And then, like, he... This was somewhere on his website, and I found it. I think you could probably find it through, like, the Wayback Machine or whatever. But um, he said that the the Powhatan lyrics were authentic, and he, like, had sworn that they were authentic, but he didn't remember what they were. And I'm not familiar enough with the Powhatan language to be able to determine, but knowing enough Abenaki, I'm like, I'm pretty sure these are just nonsense words. Wow. Interesting. 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 Wow. Okay. So the last one I have for you is i don't know if you've ever seen this this is like an urban legend but i actually looked it up and it's real so for promotion (laughs) brace yourself to promote this movie again because because christy turlington and kate moss and naomi campbell were somehow used as models for pocahontas harper's bazaar actually featured a i think it was a four to five page spread fashion spread of Pocahontas now here was the cool this was you can call this cool preposterous offensive it's probably all three they actually had designers Isaac Mizrahi Mark Jacobs and a couple others actually design contemporary clothing for Pocahontas to wear and the animators drew it on her and put it within uh, cells of the actual background so it looks like Pocahontas is walking through the forest wearing a Mark Jacobs outfit. Now, Melody, have you ever seen this? I have never. I wish you could see the face that I'm making right now. I've never heard of this, and I've never seen this. When you get a chance, you oh should just God. Google it. It is something, it, it has to be seen to believe. So folks, when, you, when you're listening to this podcast, if you have the ability, just right now, Google Pocahontas, Harper's Bazaar, and just look at the images you won't be disappointed or maybe you will be who knows (laughs) um i know i was i stood mouth agape when i saw it as well and it's needless to say that would not happen in 2019 so those are just some of the uh the behind the scenes stories there for you so there you go fun stuff melody let me ask you this sometimes when we watch these movies these movie musicals um they give us the goosebumps they give us the chills they make us emotional and sometimes you know the room gets a little dusty so to speak that's how we call it in my household. Like the room got a little dusty watching this movie. Were there any moments in this movie that made the room get dusty for you for good reasons or bad? Um, hmm. No. Yeah. No, not yeah. so much. Yeah. Not so much. Not you know, for this me one. neither. Me neither. Honestly. Um, I mean, I love the opening chords 
to just around the river band like that little you know the thing that he does with his piano just the opening of that song that always gives me kind of like a little bit of a goosebumps i think it's just gorgeous sounding but um yeah i will say that i do get goosebumps when the wind is singing oh okay like i don't get like dusty or teary-eyed but i do get like i do get a couple chills does anybody ever ask you like or say to you like you must love Pocahontas because it's like seeing yourself on screen. Like, does anybody ever say anything like that? Or has no, anybody? I think people are smarter than that. Although <laughs> I have been called Pocahontas before. Like somebody, somebody was like, you look like Pocahontas because I'll wear like traditional braids or whatever. Uh, and I'm, and I'll, t- I'll tell people don't call me that. Like, yeah. especially since for a lot of Native people, like a lot of Native people see her as a traitor. Hmm. Wow. So it's... I mean, that's not my call. Like, I just, I get really uncomfortable. And especially since Native women are so sexualized and like, you know, people are like, it's just a cartoon. It doesn't matter. But like Disney's Pocahontas has really contributed to the, like, as like a media's, contributed to the media's hypersexualization of Native women. Wow. And so being called Pocahontas is like, ew, can we not? (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's just stop calling people pocahontas like period i'm sending a message to everyone everyone and especially those in charge of big things and and those who are um inviting those in charge of big things to keep using you know racial slurs because it's not going to shut them up can can we can we not and say we we didn't like yeah let's just let's Let's get let's get beyond that. Uh, I hate this year. <laughs> so, uh, we're three months in, and we're only three months in. Um, that actually is a nice segue, though. Um, sometimes there are some moments in these movies that make us a little bit uncomfortable or have not aged well at all. And I call these yeesh moments. That just moments where it, when you see something on the screen creates like an uncomfortable air in the room you might kind of pull your collar a little bit and it's like like that probably wasn't a good addition in there so with this movie um i had a lot but i had to kind of narrow it down because i you know i couldn't complain about you know 95 percent of it but (laughs) um melody i'm gonna start with you what were some of your your big yeesh moments Um... in this film well, the little things like Pocahontas not looking Algonquin and um, Nakoma not looking Algonquin, like little things that only Native people would notice. Um, I mean, the fact that this the source material for this sucks. Like, it's the American obsession with the with like this little girl that they've made into this woman, even though she was like the first murdered missing Native woman. Um, it's clearly like this white male fantasy of like this gross white dude thinking some like woman of color is obsessed with him. But also one of the things that's always really bothered me is, you know, that one song towards the end where it's called, I I think it's called savages. I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. but um, this idea that one reverse racism is real, which is not true. Um, but that it was a two-sided confrontation and that's a thousand percent not true first of all if you don't want confrontation don't invade secondly the eastern seaboard people are the reason why the colonists survived 
if it weren't for the Wampanoag, the Pilgrims wouldn't survive. The Powhatan people actually, like, gave food and, like, mm-hmm. helped them, like, tend the land and stuff. And the com- the actual confrontation that happened between the colonists and the Powhatan people is because there was one year where the harvest wasn't very good. And Chief Powhatan was like, we don't have enough to feed our own people, really. We can't feed you this year. And so the colonists attacked them and they had to move their whole village. Wow. So this idea that it was a two-sided argument and, you know, it like making it some Romeo and Juliet story when in reality the colonists were entitled and greedy and they were going to murder people for not giving them what they wanted. Mm. That's one of the things that's always really, really bothered me about this film yeah, wow. I mean, that's it's just yeah. The, I mean, the, the historical inaccuracies are just left and right with this movie. And, and normally, I wouldn't care, but the fact mm-hmm. that like one, they like really made a lot of noise and congratulated themselves about doing a lot of research. And I read somewhere. I wish I I tried to find this book when I was doing research for this, but they had talked about how they were inspired to have this interracial romance because they wanted to do a movie about two sides not getting along because of excuse me um the la rice riots that's right that was why they had chose to do the quote-unquote traditional story of her being some grown woman in love with this grown man is because they wanted to, to, to comment on the race riots and it's like this is nothing about this is appropriate but wow well, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It's like you read uh, there was a lot of um, articles and I've read a lot about how much research they did. But then like they would say, like when things came up that they were like, oh, we can just change that or we probably should change that. And it's like at that point, it's like, why even do the research? You could have just invented a storyline at that point. And it's it's one of those things where if you're going to go so egregious from the truth, um, it, it just it was it was shocking how far. They went. Um, for I mean, me, Glenn Keane had said, like, oh, it's more socially responsible to make her an adult. And it's like, it would be more socially responsible to not do this story or, right. you know. Well, by the way, folks, if, in case you didn't know, in real life, Pocahontas was 12 years old when she met John Smith, apparently, or when this all happened. So, yeah, they can't really have her be 12 in this movie. Um <laughs> I mean, they could have, and then just changed everything else and made it more historically accurate. But you know, it's Disney, so um, let's not get crazy now. So, I think for me, some other yeesh moments. I mean, during that Savages song, there's a, there's a lot of like just savages over and over again, and like just saying terrible things. And what what kills me is that. You just brought up a good point about the reverse racism. I mean, in that song, the 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 uh, settlers—I don't—they're not even really settlers. They're you know a crew, so to speak. You know, gold diggers um, are are calling just hateful names towards the natives, and then the natives are just saying like these people are are invading us. They must be evil. It, it's like the the two sides are not in any way, shape, or form. You know an equal footing so to speak in, in that song not it's like at not at all and that was really uncomfortable um there's a song in there early on 
which is, I, I get that it's supposed to demonstrate ignorance towards these people, but when you've got John Smith dancing oh, around saying that we're, that we're going to kill ourselves an engine, maybe two uh, or three, and I'm like, this, that doesn't sound good. I, that pro- that didn't sound good in 1995. It doesn't sound good in a 2019 lens at all. <laughs> um, it's just, that was bad. And then, like, because, like, not for nothing, but you wouldn't say that about a black person or, you know, it, in a movie like, oh, you know, let's go kill some N-words and maybe two or three to show ignorance towards, you know, black people. So how does it make it right to do it towards Native Americans? I don't know. It's just awful. Awful moment there. And then there's a lot of gun violence in this movie. I think I read – I remember reading an article about – how that was one of the most jarring things about this film is that this was really the first movie of Disney's other than like, I think the killing of Bambi's mother that really used guns. Um, and it, I, I'd have to double check on this. I think this is the only other movie other than Bambi up until that point where there was a, a gun death in a movie, in an animated movie. Um so that was really jarring. What did you think about all the guns in this movie, Melody? I didn't even think about that until you brought it up. Because I just remember, like, Thomas, who is infinitely more attractive than John Smith. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and he can't shoot. And I remember being a kid and being like, this guy's a loser. And then watching it as an adult and being like, this guy's a loser. But never really thinking about how many guns there were. But if watching as an adult, I'm like, there's no blood in this movie at all. And the way, like, when somebody dies, it's like, oh, you killed him. And there's no crying. There's no anger. And no. that was, and I was like, for real? <laughs> and, and keep in mind, too, this movie's, this movie's rated G. So, like, yeah, it's not, it does, it didn't get it. I mean, a PG uh, rating would have killed this movie um, at that time. And because like Disney animated films needed to always be G, but yet you've got like so many guns, so much shooting. Um, it's just, it was jarring. And I was like, again, I, I don't think since you've seen guns in an in a animated film, especially a gun death. So I think this was like that one outlier where Disney was like, never again. And hopefully never again on many other things. But um <laughs> You know, this was just, yeah, it, it was, that was really, really jarring to see on, on screen as well. So, um, any other, yeah, I didn't moments? notice that until you brought it up. Wow. Either. So there, you go. there you go. You know, I, I didn't actually notice it until there was a scene where, um, they, you know, with, with John, uh, um, uh, Christian Bale's character, I always get them, you know, mixed up. Um, Christian Bale is Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. I, I want to call him John Rolfe because that's what he played in the, the new world movie that, that, that movie that came out like much much later uh he actually he was in that movie too and so was irene bedard by the way yeah uh, they, they both were in that movie i thought that was kind of cool like hey it's a pocahontas reunion um but uh, <laughs> true, true is it colin firth colin like... firth plays john smith in that movie oh god and yeah, christian right. bale i think is john wolf and so that, i always get those confused but there's a scene that what what the gun thing that stuck out to me was when uh first of all there's a shootout when like they see two native americans in the trees they all grab their guns and start firing away and i think they wound one of them in the leg but then like also when they're teaching thomas how to shoot properly and i that that's the moment where i was like oh my god there, there's guns in this movie like it's just that was that was the moment for me any other yeesh moments for you um they'll probably come up 
when yeah, I think of that. Believe me, there's plenty of other places we're going to be talking about some, some um, niche moments. I do have one other niche moment. It's yeah. like how when Cocoam exists, when Thomas exists, are we supposed to believe that she's interested in John Smith? I was wa- when I was watching it because I watched it twice just <laughs> like to make sure that I remember stuff. And I'm looking at his face. I'm like, I couldn't pick his face out of a Disney lineup. Oh my god, there's nothing remarkable about him. He had that awful like Backstreet Reject haircut. I'm like, how am I supposed to believe that when these two other men exist, that John Smith is like the guy she's gonna go to war for? Anyway, that's she. My she personal. picked the third, the third most interesting, you know, best looking man in this movie. I guess, yeah. Wow, that's 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 a good <laughs> point. That is a huge moment, um, folks. We know sometimes with these movie musicals, not every mystery is solved, not every question is answered, and some things are left open to judge. And I call these lingering questions. So, Melody, I'm going to start with you. Did you have any lingering questions with Pocahontas? I did. What happened to Wiggins? Because he was not in the really bad direct VHS sequel, and he's literally the best character in the whole movie. And, like, does he stay in the colony? Does he get to work for somebody else? Is he the wasp now? Like, that's my one, like, what happens to my like, friend? I, I think you see him, like, make a comment about Ratcliffe. Like, it's oh, like, he keeps like, so highly recommended. Right. And he walks away, and then you're like, wait, what? Is that it? Um, Interestingly enough, both 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 those characters were voiced by David Ogden Stiers. Yes, so both Wiggins and Governor Ratcliffe. So, and then in between, somewhere vocally is is Cogsworth. But um, you know, what was interesting. Uh, that's a good point. I have I have no idea where Wiggins. When I was a kid, this up. used to really stress me out. Like, so. Wow. Well, <laughs> I have I have one. Uh, I have a couple, but. My first is, how how does Pocahontas learn English so quickly? Like, it it, it looks like the, the magical magic of the leaves. The magic of the leaves is like, you know, seventeenth eighteenth century, you know, uh, Rosetta Stone. Literally, maybe the Rosetta Stone, and um, she instantly knows English. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess okay. And then like five seconds later, she's fully speaking English. Like it's just like she knows idioms and <laughs> phrases and things like that. So it's no that that to me was a, a real leap, so to speak. That was the first one. Um, and I actually wrote down: Does the tree give her magic ability? Like that was, <laughs> I had no idea. Um, any other lingering questions for you? Um, historically speaking, though, she, like she wouldn't have obviously not spoken English instantly, but many Native people spoke multiple languages. Because even if you were linguistically related to someone next to you or your neighbor, you wouldn't be able to understand them if you didn't oh. speak. Like, so they at least spoke three or four to their, na- to their neighbors. And also a lot of nations had different languages for men and women, different sacred languages, things like that. So she would have probably learned English very quickly, but obviously not like magical leaves quickly. Yeah, <laughs> magical leaves <laughs> That's gonna be my new thing. Magical That's leaves quickly. That's a new quickly. term. Wow, you really learned that fast. Like magical leaves quickly. <laughs> my gosh, amazing, amazing. Um, I have another question for you. 
Yeah. Um, and this goes back to Kokom and uh, Nakoma. So there's that scene where, after spoiler for folks, by the way, I'm, I shouldn't say spoiler. If you haven't watched Pocahontas, you should not be listening to this podcast at this point. Anyway, <laughs> we, we've said too much already. Um, not for nothing, but when Kokom, oh, I was about to, oh God, I was about to call him Kokomo. I apologize. When Kokom uh, dies, and they have this little thing where Pocahontas is blaming herself and things like that. Uh, Nakoma says, well, it was it was me who sent Kokom after you. And so therefore, the, the, the transfer of fault then goes towards Nakoma rather than Pocahontas. And they don't blink an eye. It's like Pocahontas is like, oh, God, it's my fault. He's dead. And Nakoma's like, no, no, I sent him to follow. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, that was it. issue solved. No big deal. It's okay then. Um, well, she didn't really show that meant much emotion when Kokoum died. She was either. By the way, Kokoum, for those of you who don't know, the historical um, touchstone for this was her real life husband, whom she loved very, very, very much. And I believe he was murdered after they were separated and she was held a political prisoner at the fort. Wow, really? So, yeah, and I. Uh, According to contemporary documents, she they really really loved each other, so. Wow, again another another grossly inaccurate thing that they did for this movie. Wow, um, any other lingering questions that you have? Um, I think you brought it up earlier when you said why did they go through the trouble of meeting her family and her descendants if they weren't going to use valuable information mm. because. Her descendants and her family and her lineages and her clans were interviewed and they talked to them and they, they gleaned all this knowledge from them and they were expecting Disney to do the right thing and Disney didn't tell them and they went to go see this movie and were like, what the fresh hell is this? No. Like, oh, why no. go through all that trouble of, you know, having these people teach you, which is in Native culture, that's a very is a very important gift to like have somebody teach you and like tell you sacred stories and things like that. If you're just going to squander it. Mm, that's a good point. And then not tell them. Yeah. That's the real bad part. You, and, and then for them to f be surprised at the premiere or when they go finally see it, that's, that's not good. Yeah, and again, like, I, I didn't understand why they went through all that trouble. No, because it's, you know, it's Disney. <laughs> it's like, it's my answer for a lot of things. Eh, it's, it's, it's Disney. Um, Folks, we know that sometimes with these casts that we get for these films, not every single person that ends up in these roles was the original choice, the first choice, uh, or the the plan to begin with. So what I like to do here is surprise my guests with oh, no. some some <laughs> casting, yeah, some casting what ifs, if you will, um, people that were either offered roles, auditioned for roles, given the roles, and then pulled out, or you know, uh, desired for these roles, so to speak. So. Melody has no idea what I'm about to say. Oh, no. So I did I'm some research. I'm literally gripping my desk. I have I know, no right? idea. So I did some research, and I found out that the original person, the original first choice for Ratcliffe was actually, instead of David Ogden Stiers, was Patrick Stewart. So my question for you... Oh, my God. <laughs> ...is would this movie have been better with Patrick Stewart instead of David Ogden Stiers as Ratcliffe? No, because David Ogden Stiers was perfect. He was perfect. I love I mean, Patrick. I love Patrick Stewart, but for me, David Ogden Stiers in the two roles as one of Disney's best baddies ever, 
even in in the sequel, he was like the best baddie ever, and he did his own singing. He's untouchable. Untouchable. In my Rest in peace, by the way, David Augustars. Oh, um, no. Yeah. All right, I've got another one for you. Here we go. Uh-oh. So instead of the grandma tree, uh, the original spiritual ancestor was supposed to be an actually a male figure called Old Man River. I'm not kidding you. Old oh, Man no. River. <laughs> and it was going to be voiced by Gregory Peck. True story. So they actually offered Gregory Peck this role. They actually walked him through exactly what this this role would be and how it would be, how it would look. Um, it would actually would have marked his last film because I think he died shortly thereafter. And it was actually Gregory Peck's idea to say no thanks, and I think you should make it an actual like female grandma type figure. So the reason why we have a grandma tree is because Gregory Peck said no and gave the idea to them. So let me ask oh you this. God. Would this movie have been better with Old Man River played by Gregory Peck? Absolutely. It's a no from it's me. No. <laughs> I mean, one Linda Hunt is another like untouchable piece of perfection. And two, if he was actually supposed to be an ancestor, I'd... I can't speak for all Native people, but, like, ancestors like that are, are like, you know, for a lot of people, you don't say the, the name of the dead, that kind of stuff. So, I, and I think that's why, like, Pocahontas's mom isn't mentioned by name. Right. Is And people are like, oh, it's another, you know, dead anonymous mother. I'm like, no, I think it might actually be that. I, and I can't speak for the Powhatan people, but for a lot of Native cultures, like, you don't speak the name of the dead, and that would have been really awkward mm-hmm. and uncomfortable Well, what's on funny, a lot of friends. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, because one, one of the behind-the-scenes stories that I failed to mention was that Michael Eisner, when they were oh, planning no. this movie, really wanted a mother in the film. Because if you think about it, Belle didn't have a mother, Ariel didn't have a mother. Jasmine doesn't have a mother. So like he's like, I'm sick and tired of there not being any mothers in any of these movies. Um, so he actually he was pushing for, for Pocahontas to have a mother. And actually it was the creators of the film saying no. And they kind of brought into the I guess through their research in terms of like why it would really make sense for it not to be there. So <laughs> interesting enough, we we almost had a mother in this movie. Oh, and Aladdin didn't have a mother either. Nobody has a mother. <laughs> I just thought of that. Good God, motherless, motherless Disney. Oh my gosh. All right. So folks, we know that we have to have four categories firing on all the cylinders to really make a movie musical work. And that of course is the singing, the dancing, the acting and design. So what we like to do is kind of go through each category and just rate it one through 10 and give some reasons why of what we think. One being the worst and 10 being the best. So Melody, let me ask you this. How would you rate the singing one to 10 in Pocahontas? I did think about this. I didn't rate it numerically, but you Ooh, know, other okay. than the other than Stephen Swartz being really cagey about the pot and lyrics, um, and some of the other goofy like extended version of the crying Indian commercial stuff, um, I actually think the singing was great. Really, like it has some. Of, it has some of the best singing that Disney's had. I mean, you have Judy Kuhn and. Um, you know, David Ogden Styers did his own singing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as far as John Smith goes, in some of the promotional <laughs> material, they had actually said that Mel Gibson had done his own singing. But according to some web sources, it's Corey Burton instead. And Corey Burton is Disney's um, Paul Freese replacement. So when Paul Freese passed away, um, rest in peace, greatest voice actor who ever lived, um, in 1987, Corey Burton's kind of taken over the roles that Paul Freese did and like Captain Hook and that kind of stuff. So, and I listened to it multiple times and like, I can't tell if this is Corey Burton or Mel Gibson or not. Because Mel right. Gibson had said like he had done his own singing and, but the internet says other things. So I don't know. But generally speaking, like if I have to give it to them, they did a pretty good job of the singing. Yeah, I mean, it's it It was one of those things where I remember watching the Disney Channel and they did this whole behind-the-scenes featurette and made a big deal about the fact that Mel Gibson was actually going to sing in this movie. And, you know, me being a 14-year-old kid, I think this was either a year before or a year after Braveheart. So, like, he, you know, it's like, oh, Mel Gibson's going to sing? Like, okay, that's cool. Um, it was it was slightly newsworthy. But, yeah, no, you're, you're, I, I read the same thing where there's now, like, this conspiracy theory, this unofficial, like, he actually didn't do his own. He had a stunt singer for, and it didn't sound that great to, to begin with. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I, I, I think numerically I gave it around a, a seven um, for, for singing because – I think you've got, I mean, you've got Judy Kuhn in there who's just like perfection. Um, interestingly enough, though, I don't know if you knew this, in addition to her singing the songs, they actually had Judy Kuhn, Judy Kuhn record all the lines of dialogue in the movie just in case they couldn't find an, uh, the right person to do the regular voice. Of uh, so <laughs> we almost had Judy Kuhn. Uh, and- and God, God love Judy Kuhn. She's she's a friend of mine. Um, if you if you heard her speaking voice, it would be like no, no, like that does that's not Pocahontas. They they made the right choice with her. When they the were card. talking about the voice cast in the making of, they're like all these like when we're talking about the native actors, they have so much depth, blah blah blah. And I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I think she I think Judy Kuhn's told that story at like concerts that she's done. She's like, oh, by the way, I was almost the entire voice of Pocahontas. If they if they didn't find Irene Bedard or a, a, the perfect actress, you would have heard me throughout that entire movie. So, um, and she's like, thank God they found Irene Bedard. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's an interesting thing. So, dancing folks, I don't I don't recall there being any dancing in this movie. I could um, right. The mind, mind, mind choreography is yeah. nice. It's okay. I, best song in the whole movie. <laughs> the best everything. And I, I, I tried looking because sometimes like animated films do this where they actually do have like a choreographer, so to speak. Um, I there there is no choreographer that could be found uh, <laughs> credited in this movie. But um, I, I I did not think of the dig 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 um, song as being like a dance for this. So I I just put it as not applicable for this. But um, I think you're right. Like the the tossing of uh, dirt and throwing of pickaxes. They yeah, do that's... like pirouettes and stuff too. They do pirouettes. You're right. <laughs> I'm gonna change my vote. I'm gonna give it like a four then. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That gets a four for me. Um, but let me ask you this: like, what, I mean, uh, uh, even though there weren't a lot of songs to really kind of put those elements into there, I was a little surprised that there wasn't any type of Native American dancing 
in any of these numbers whatsoever. Like they, they never really even tried to kind of feature that. And I, am I wrong to assume or think that dancing is a huge part of that culture? Um, well, dancing is a part of all of our cultures, mm-hmm. like dancing and singing and music. It's, it's nobody ever says in any of our cultures, Oh, I can't dance or I can't sing or I can't play. Like you're just born knowing how to do it and it's a part of it's literally like part of your dna um i'm actually quite grateful that they didn't oh okay because um i mean i guess there were some questionable powhatan lyrics but um in terms of like sharing things like sacred dances or sacred songs with like a broader audience like oh good point yeah yeah kind of keep that keep that in-house so to speak like yeah only yeah and i don't think any of the dances like i guess maybe they do the war dance during the savages song i don't know how accurate that is Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna assume that it's not that accurate um wow interesting 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 yeah i'm actually kind of grateful that they didn't attempt that good point good point also you have to deal with the fact that like disney copyrights shit like they got in trouble for trying to copyright um did the muertos like in coco and people were like f this shit o'clock like so i'm <laughs> actually quite grateful that they didn't try to copyright any of our songs or dances or anything like that so yeah that, that would have been really bad really bad um all right so how how about the acting in this movie what how do you feel about the acting amazing like Everybody in this movie, like, for what it's worth, is really great. Like, even, like, the little side characters. I forget his name, but he's a Scottish actor. He's so great in this movie. Billy Conley? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Linda Hunt's amazing. I mean, if they're not going to use a Native actress to play, like, Grandmother Willow, like, I'm okay with it being Linda Hunt. Um, And all the Native actors are unreal. Like, everybody's just... I'm not saying this because I'm biased. Like, you know, they they got Russell Means to play Powhatan. Like, Russell Means got had the voice of God. Like, Gordon Tatusis, like, is the medicine man. Like, perfect, perfect. James Apomet Fall for um, Cocoam. Like, perfect choice. Absolutely perfect choice. And yeah. obviously, like, I have nothing but the utmost respect for Irene Bedard. Like, not only is she, like, this amazingly beautiful person inside and out, like she's an unbelievable actress and yeah no it, i i i agree 100 percent. i mean it, it is a really great cast and it's what i also really like about this movie in a way i mean you could have made it a live action film with this cast and yeah it, you know it's like very rare can you say that and um and it would have worked at the time so like i mean you know christian bale looked like what thomas looked like in 1995 that's what like i think four years after newsies so like you know it it all would have probably worked out but yeah you've got a really really good cast here the voice acting you know i've been very critical of of the way that voice acting is done in animation where it's like that you know that sounds like take 30 and things like that but really you just you see you feel the power in some of the dialogue and you know you can really see how um the actors' emotions on their faces really drove the animation yeah. of their characters. So that was awesome. So yeah, I, g- I gave the acting actually an eight and a half there, basically. Um, 
it is interesting to see Mel Gibson, you know, before, you know, how <laughs> many, how a younger generation <laughs> would know Mel Gibson, so to speak. Um, a much happier Mel Gibson, I think, at the time. But um, again, I thought, you know, as as problematic as the way that John Smith is portrayed in this movie, I thought he did a pretty good job with what the script that he was given. I mean, he's not going to go and correct scripts and things like that. But um, yeah, no, it's a really, really interestingly acted film. How about the design? I mean, it's an, it's an animated film, so design's a little bit of a weird category here. But in terms of like, the question I want to ask you, especially when it comes to design, is with the costuming and, and the look of these characters. How accurate did they get with the clothing and um the garments and things like that well it's a lot of it is inaccurate like we've talked a a lot about how a lot of these characters don't look region appropriate i mean for some of the clothes it's not inaccurate i mean they were in virginia um the tattoos like a lot of algonquin women have tattoos so that that is something i'm not sure how they looked because i'm not a expert in Paul Monkey, Paul Hatton people. Um, but in terms of like the housing and stuff, that actually looks like Abenaki housing. So I can see that and I can recognize it. I mean, wow. again, you. Wow. Interesting. 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 Other than like the corn being grown in a certain way, like it wouldn't have been grown in rows like that. Like the, when I was watching it, um on saturday i noticed that they had beans and some kind of squash also growing with the corn which is the three sisters and i'm like i really want to hate you guys for all these inaccuracies and then you throw in like stupid shit like that which actually isn't stupid it's actually quite important that the three sisters grow together because corn beans and squash grow together as like they give each other nutrients and it's very sacred that they grow together but it's like of all the things like y'all wanted to keep in here (laughs) <laughs> right next to the inaccurate corn, you have like the three sisters, but fine. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, I, and also, I don't know. I mean, compared to like a lot of the animated films that we had seen from Disney up until this point, this one seems to be drawn a lot differently in terms of the way that these characters you don't see like a lot Very of characters, realistic. yeah, like you don't see a lot of the big eyed you know, very white skinned, very um, cartoonish looking figures. So at least there, there seemed to be at least some respect and reverence for how to design a lot of these people in this movie. So I, I do appreciate that. I mean, their eyes aren't bigger than their waists and <laughs> that's great for me. <laughs> Except for Wiggins. Like Wiggins is the traditional Disney. Like, oh my you know, God, I love character. him. So there you go. But everybody else, there's a sincerity there. I mean, I, it, Except Pocahontas has no details on her face whatsoever. She's a very geometric face. Um, there's no no wrinkles whatsoever on that face. Um, so, folks, we know that sometimes with the, the songs that go into these movies, um, you know, we, we we don't sometimes get every single single song that's meant to be in there. So, I call this numbers that we needed. Now, I did not know that they had actually cut about four songs from the actual film itself. But Melody, you actually. You said there's a, a feature on the DVD where you can listen to one of these songs in, in the actual like point of the movie where it comes on. Could you explain that yes. a little bit? So like how Beauty and the Beast had Human Again, and you, there's a version of on the Beauty and the Beast DVD where you can watch Human Again in the movie. 
I guess. I think, yeah. Um, for the Pocahontas one, you can watch the absolutely disastrous If I Never Knew You. Um, oh, my God. When it would have been in the movie where she's like, I want to see the face of, like, who killed Cocoa. And when she goes in there and she tells John Smith, like, I love you or whatever. Um and there's a, there's a song there, and it's it has this really horrible montage where they go back through all their memories, Stop and I'm it. like, no, no, it's so bad. Oh my god! And then at the end of the movie, when they're having that beautiful, as beautiful as that mo- moment can get, okay, um, when they're saying goodbye, they start singing at each other again, and it's like, nope, <laughs> no. There's absolutely no reason for the song to be in the movie now. Um, so, it can go, so I guess inst- I guess instead of calling it instead of calling it you know numbers that we needed, it's like numbers. Thank God weren't in this movie at all. Like, <laughs> and for folks, just so you know, if if in case you are missing, if I what, what's it called? If I never loved if you, if I or, never knew you, if I never knew you, um, it, it's the end credit song. So as soon as the movie's over, it's the first song you hear, and it's a duet between. One of my '90s favorites, Shanice and John Cicada, of all people, um, and it sounds terrible. It's it's a terrible end credit song, and um, yeah, thank God it's not in there. But interesting enough, quick note: um, the, are there more songs that they've touched? Well, no, not exactly. But you know, the score at the end of the the movie where the boat is leaving and you see her, and again, the the magic wind comes around. Again. Yes. <laughs> Oh man, that's a that's a title of a podcast right there, the Magic Wind. Um, <clears throat> the actual the title of that is just simply called "I'll Never See Him Again." That's like, that's the name oh, of the score. I'll never see him again, and it, it's it's oh gosh, it's it's a weird ending to a movie, folks. It really is. So it's it's to be seen. It's to be seen. I'll put it that way. Um, she was also the first Disney princess to have two official like canon loves of her life, which I don't know how I feel about that because I don't really think John Rolfe loved her anyway. And there's actually like they say that she died of smallpox, but native people think that John Rolfe murdered her. Like, he poisoned Whoa. her after, like, she was no longer useful to him because he married her for political reasons and also get to get tobacco recipe. Wow. So she eventually, like, in the second Pocahontas Journey to a New World, like, she sees John Smith again. They have to rescue him at some point. But, like, they realize that they're not as compatible as they thought they were. And that moment's really awkward. So you telling me that, like, I'll never see him again music. And it's like, oh, okay, gotcha. No, 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 no. Gotcha. <laughs> and, you know, this is also coming from someone myself who I I have not seen Pocahontas 2. Oh, ref- my God. <laughs> I refused it for years. And and you telling me everything that you just have has convinced me that I've made the right choice. It just... Assuming that Pocahontas one ends with them never seeing each other and never going back to that well ever again. So thank you. Thank you for confirming all of my um my assumptions about Pocahontas too. It's pretty bad. It's as bad as like Peter Pan two, I think. Oh god. I think all the twos are bad. I th- every single I two like Lion King two. Okay. All right. I think the songs are really are really beautiful. Also, it was done um theatrical quality like they talked about how they went back and they had a lot of the same team come back and and do poke right. they they when they did lion king 2 
So interesting. All right. Well, th- there you go. There you go. How about numbers that we could do without any songs that you would cut from this film? Mm, well, obviously, I would cut if I never knew you. <laughs> yes, I would cut it out of the end credits. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it just reinforces everything that's wrong with this adaptation. Like, oh god. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that's that. That's all you have to say about that. I don't know. I I think. I would change the lyrics of a lot of these songs, like the Virginia Company reprise, where it's like, I'll kill myself in Indian. Cut, cut that. Just cut, probably just cut that entire song. You don't really need a song there. Um, I also they think. They changed the lyrics in the Savages song. Did they really? For the re release. Yeah, they, because they used to call them like something like Filthy Redskins at one point. And oh, then, yeah. Or. I think they do. They they changed something. I have to go back and watch the original theatrical cut because they on the DVD it has the original theatrical cut and then it has the version with that song that should not be mentioned. <laughs> Interesting. And you know, probably the cut, folks. By the way, if you want to watch Pocahontas right now, I mean, if you really want to watch Pocahontas right now, um, you can on Netflix. It's actually available on Netflix right now. Uh, which is how I watched it, yeah. Um, and I probably saw the updated versions uh, there as well, because I definitely, if they had said Redskin, I would have been like, what? <laughs> what did you just say? Uh, that's a very offensive term, folks. And I think any organization or company or entity that still calls themselves Redskins is terrible. It's just a textbook look. racial slur, just FYI, everyone. It's let's a just make that slur. clear. Let's just, let's just make <laughs> Also, same thing with Indians, by the way. I still, I mean, let's, yeah, let's, let's just put that out there. Um, Call us by our nation's names if you really have to. Like, there you go. Like, like if, if you're in Cleveland, for instance, or, you know, Washington, D.C., like there, there were, you know, there were Native Americans that were, you know, tribes there, regionally. Call them that. Anyway. We've talked a lot of politics on this podcast tonight. I mean, it's unavoidable. Like, it really is. It really is. You know, even I, you know, and I mentioned this earlier. Like, people are gonna be like, "Oh, well, it's just a cartoon and it's just a movie." But unfortunately, like these Hollywood images of Native people are touchstones for what people think of when they think of Native people, and like. And for some people, this film is their only exposure to Native people outside of like. Peter Pan or John Wayne movie. Mm-hmm. And, and this... the fact that like it marketed itself as being based on a true story. No, if it was like, you know, there are, there are blogs dedicated to dissecting the historical inaccuracies of Disney's Robin Hood. Like, <laughs> like those people exist, but like, wow. you know, Robin Hood is not going to get somebody murdered. You know what right. I mean? Like, right. These hypersexualized images of our women, you know, using the R word, referring to us as savages, trying to frame this confrontation as being equally two-sided. These are very dangerous messages. 100% right. 100% right. And what's interesting, too, like, this is a period in Hollywood where you saw a lot of, you know, them trying to where Hollywood was trying to, I guess, r- remind people of, you know, Native American culture and and, and how the, the plight and, and terrible things that this country did to them. But at the same time, we Hollywood did it 
in like the the worst ways possible. So like, <laughs> you know, like you have movies like Dances with Wolves, and then you have, uh... and then you have like Last of the Mohicans, and it's like just it's like okay, I you, I get what you're trying to do, but by you know inserting white savior tropes and like oh just portraying them as violent savages, it's like no no stop stop. <laughs> There's ways you can do this. Um, by and the way, then he I had think, smoke signals. And I was about to ask you, um, what just in case anybody wants to watch like a really good representation of Native American and Indigenous culture, what what movies would you recommend before we go any further? I would recommend Smoke Signals. Um, I think that's a really really great one. I mean, we found out recently that Sherman Alexie was a creep, and th- that has definitely inhibited my ability to watch this film now because he wrote it um but i I definitely think that it's a good one there's um the another one that came out in 2003 is wonderful it's called dreamkeeper and it's it tells it's this grandfather who's telling his grandson about all these traditional stories and all these native actors tell these traditional stories. And there's this really cute story about this boy named Thunder boy and he has magical powers and he has an Iroquois um, Haudenosaunee mother and an Algonquin Abenaki father. And those people are traditional enemies. And then the mother says this really funny line that my friends like to use against me a lot. They're like, your dad's Abenaki. That's why you're so bad. (laughs) Wow. Um, wow. I love it. And then um, there are a couple about the boarding schools, the one that Michelle St. John was in. I, it's escaping me right now, but there's another one with Wes Studi, and it's called um, Only Good Indian. And it's about these kids that escape from the boarding school system. And they think one of the girls who I think is, she might be on the spectrum. I'm not sure she might have like special medicine gifts, which is why she's the way that she is. But they want to execute her because they think they that she's murdered someone when I, when she hasn't. And so this, this other native boy is trying to protect her. And West Duty is this like, I guess he's a scout. He's a scout for white people and he goes to round up children that have been sent off to the residential boarding schools and he works for the white government or whatever. The movie's really, really good. And West Duty is really great. He's wonderful in everything. Um, I, just, I mean, I think West Duty is just, not to get too far off topic, but first of all, why wasn't he in this movie? Um, and number two, um, a completely underrated actor, just overall. I mean, he was just an incredible actor uh, to begin with, but um yeah no mucho respect for for west duty who i just saw in last of the Mohicans recently so <laughs> i just rewatched the movie a little while ago but yeah if you want a really really good native film <clears throat> that is like a positive film because a lot of these films have to do with really sad things like which we need we need to have conversations about colonialism and alcoholism and poverty and substance abuse and all kinds we need these conversations but we also need conversations about how powerful our traditions are and how beautiful they are and how they're worthy of praise and dignity. And Dreamkeeper is beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. Awesome. And if you and want August to watch- Schellenberg is 
amazeballs. Amazing. So, I love yeah, it. Yeah, he's amazing. I love it. If you want to watch a really bad movie that... Oh my God, you mean all the rest of them? <laughs> ...depicts Native American culture really poorly, you should watch 1992's Thunderheart starring Val Kilmer. I'll just put it that way. Oh uh, my God. <laughs> it, it's pretty insulting. It's pretty insulting. But let's move on. Because <laughs> I could just start rattling off bad you know, representation left and right. Oh, the but searchers is another like there's another yeah. one. Oh my yeah. gosh. But Melody, let me ask you this. If you have five minutes and you can only watch like one section of this movie, what are you gonna fast forward to? Mine, mine, mine. Unapologetically. All the time. I love it. I love uh -oh. it. For me, go ahead. I was gonna say like my cousin and I were obsessed with this song and the part on the cassette because we had we had the soundtrack on a cassette. It doesn't play anymore. Like it's warped. Oh so. my gosh. <laughs> so you've exhausted the tape. I love it. I've exhausted love that it. part of the tape. So You know what? I it, it really is the most I guess you could call show tuny song in the entire score, so to speak, that really is like a, feels like a musical theater based song. So I and the I, lyrics are really great. Like I forgot how good the lyrics were. They are really good. They are really good. I mean, for me, I think it's just around the riverbend. I'm probably going to go to or like somewhere in the beginning of this movie before we start getting into the problematic areas. Um, and I can just kind of enjoy it for what it is. Um, yeah, that's probably that's probably where I'm going to go to. All right. So, folks, we'd like to give out some awards in this podcast. These are very prestigious awards, obviously. And um, OK, so we're just going to address this. Uh, we, we had what was called the Barber Award, but in light of the most recent news cycle and her due to her incredibly uninvolved uh, unevolved comments on sexual assault uh we are renaming the barbara award so the barbara award will no longer be named in honor of barbara streisand uh we're gonna come up with a different name for someone else who has just crushed it in movie musicals and julie andrews we should name you know her julie andrews thank you you just nailed it we're calling Goddess it the among us we're calling it the julies the julies that's it Yay. <laughs> So the Julie is given to, oh, this is, again, take another shot. This is why I'm so glad I had you on this podcast. Um, who's going to get your Julie award for this movie? Oh, God. Because okay. you've got a couple, through this conversation, there, there could, you could go a couple different ways with this now. Hmm. I mean, I think the singing in the movie was pretty good. Like, and even like the character voices, like Linda Hunt's, is perfectly suited for like a four 500 year old like sacred tree so yep. there's that um hmm hmm it's tough isn't it it is very tough because it's between david ogden styers who is perfect and judy kuhn who is also perfect Ugh. um i think that it's judy kuhn because she was the perfect transition vocally from irene bedard like irene bedard's voice is just oh my god she is um she's perfect she's a goddess among us and sometimes in these movies that are dubbed like in like in cats don't dance which isn't disney but for example like the speaking voice and the singing voice didn't sound at all like they came from the same source wait you They're... didn't think scott bacula singing like <laughs> no that is um, the the girl cat. Yes. That, I forget her name. Um, well, I think Natalie Cole did the singing. Natalie Cole right? did the yeah. voice. Natalie Cole is phenomenal, but it wasn't a very good transition. No. Versus like, 
I believe that Judy Kuhn is the singing voice of Pocahontas. Like, and I think she... it's a perfect bridge between Irene Bernard and herself. So, well, and I, I, I'm a, in agreement with you 100%. I think the one thing I really appreciate about Judy Kuhn and, and what she not only brings to this movie, but also. And basically, you know, like her performances in Les Mis, um, she is what I call a performance singer, like where she is acting every bit of that song yes. when she's singing it. I mean, if anybody's yes, ever seen absolutely. her sing live, um, I just saw her in Fiddler on the Roof as Goldie, which was like not a role that I would ever imagine her in, but yet she was spectacular. So again, like she performs and acts these songs. So again, like when and you hear it on the score, like, you know, when she's singing that role and you're seeing the animation, you're believing the passion, you're believing the emotion in, in her performance. So she's a yeah. very emotive voice and a hundred percent right. So yeah, my my Julie goes to Judy Kuhn as well. So there you go. On the flip side, folks, sometimes these voices aren't so great. And so we <laughs> like to give out an award called the Russell Crowe Award. Now that of course is named after Russell Crowe's infamous performance in Les Miserables. Oh, and this goes to either the worst singer or sometimes the least great singer in this movie. Um, so, Melody, I'm going to start with you. Who is going to get your Russell Crowe award? You know, I'm not going to fault some of the character singers, like some of the the, the character actors who are who who are singing. Like, there's just, there's one guy, I I'm looking up his name right now because he's literally in like every Disney movie ever. I'm not going to fault him for not having a perfect singing voice because Jim Cummings. He, Jim yeah, Jim Cummings. Cummings thank yes. you, Jim Cummings. He's literally in everything, and his voice is not perfect, but he's. I think he's still amazing. Um, my Russell Crowe award is going to go to Mel Gibson for probably lying about doing his own singing and not faulting Corey Burton for not having a perfect singing voice because he sings other stuff and sounds fine. But like trying to sound like Mel Gibson and Mel Gibson basically lying. So yeah, he's going to get my you. Russell Crowe. I'm with you. Interesting enough, Jim Cummings also did the singing voice of Rasputin and Anastasia. So for those of you who are trying to place the voice, so to speak, he's the same guy. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. Mel Gibson, um, for that same reason, gets my Russell Crowe award. And every, you know, bad award. I can, I can <laughs> every, any negative. He hasn't, he hasn't, while maybe he's won his way back into the hearts of Hollywood, he still has a long way to go with me. But that's just, that's just me. Um, finally, folks. We have what's called the Bumlet Award. Now, the Bumlet Award is named after a character in the film Newsies. And if anybody's watched Newsies or knows Newsies like the back of their hand, watch the number, King of New York. And at the end of the number, you'll see a guy doing a pirouette on a fan while he's holding a ceiling fan. And he just does this amazing jump. And then you can't, lay, you can't take your eyes off of him for the rest of the movie. That actor by the name was Dominic Lucero, who sadly passed away. But I wanted to name this award after his performance because... Again, it's about a background artist, ensemble member, supporting cast member that just crushes it in this movie and you can't stop thinking about them throughout the entire thing. So, Melody, who gets your Bumlet Award? Um, David August Stars is Wiggins, obviously. No hesitation. No, <laughs> no hesitation. hesitation. None whatsoever. I hate that Disney tried to like, with its really awful 2017 like CG ISO remake of Beauty and the Beast, which I refuse to see, um... Like, they tried to, 
like they made this big deal about like touting their first exclusively gay moment which ended up not being anything um how could anyone say this when wiggins exists i love him so much also the reluctant dragon but specifically we're talking about wiggins right now david Ogden Styers is amazing like he said that the big wigs at disney couldn't tell that it was the same person doing two different voices um david Ogden Styers is perfect and that character is awesome right. also the, the animals are great like the hummingbird and percy the pug and miko also the moose the right. moose the moose is great the moose is like these really great expressions like ah we're doing this are we hmm okay <laughs> i love it i love it yeah no i actually i actually gave my bummer award to the character of miko uh the raccoon because first of all i love raccoons secondly um i am so happy that they did not give those characters actual speaking voices oh my god movie. yes and they must have i mean disney must have like fought against every fiber of their being to not to give these animals voices um but if you go on youtube folks and you just look up pocahontas red feather you can actually see a small pencil test screen of what Percy the dog and the turkey red feather would have looked oh, like. Oh god. And it's them just bumping into each other walking and then like having this dialogue between them. Thank god. Thank yeah. god. But Thank interestingly god. enough, if they had actually had these characters talk, um Richard E Grant who was just nominated for an Academy Award this past year, um what it was actually slated to be the voice of Percy. So they actually had John Candy and Richard E Grant ready to go. But they decide not to. But anyway, so that's that's my that's my take on that. So Miko, the raccoon, you get my my bummet award. Melody, final question for you. Should this get a remake? Absolutely effing not. Now now here's my here's my question. I, I thought about this too. And I said to myself, yes, but they have to do it a hundred percent right like accurate and therefore it is not an entertaining movie to watch at all <laughs> so like if you're gonna remake it remake it truthful and and you know therefore it doesn't it's not even a disney movie anymore but i i'm with you i, I don't think you can even touch this and, and really do anything with it um the way it is now i mean like I, I won't name names, but I know that there are certain Broadway bloggers that are like, this would be great on Broadway. And I was like, it absolutely would not. Absolutely First off, not. the magic might not translate, like, you know, the leaves and stuff. I know they did a stage version of it at Disneyland that I saw when I was a kid. And it was, it was okay. But also like, no, absolutely not. Like, like absolutely. the technical side aside, like, it's this is this this one of the things that people don't understand is that this is just beyond problematic fave like mm. it's 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 irredeemable like this movie has a lot of beautiful things about it um beautiful music really great acting especially from native actors um so there is representation um obviously like there are a lot of really great character actors who are non-native who did a really really good job um the fact that like you know pocahontas herself is not a shrinking violet because algonquin women are not shrinking violets um is great but i really think like we absolutely not like yeah. It, yeah. it 
belongs on DVD and it belongs. It happened. Like, like we're good. Merch in the Disney parks, <laughs> but like, yeah, it it doesn't deserve a remake. What I think they should do is some. Well, I mean, they did a pretty good job with Brother Bear. Obviously, it was not a perfect job, um, but. Brother Bear was everything that they could have done with Pocahontas in a lot of ways. There you go. And for anybody who's listening, if you remember Brother Bear, you should, because it's actually a pretty decent movie. It's actually my top five Disney movie, top five movie, actually, like, slot. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Oh, my God. First of all, what an incredible episode uh, this week. I'm, I'm so thrilled. Final shot. (laughs) <laughs> take i'm so thrilled that i had you on this podcast honestly i mean thank you, gave, you you brought every you, you i learned a lot first of all um because i did not do a lot of research into obviously the culture and history as i should, probably should have but this is good i'm learning now which is awesome i have, i hope everybody who's listening is also learning a lot of things too um melody where can people find you on social media do you have anything you want to plug i mean fire away um well i'm you, not a I can give you my social media handles, but I'm not quite like ready to like plug my stuff on this podcast because not we talked problem. about yeah, we talked about a lot of sensitive stuff like you know murdered missing indigenous women and 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 you know grandmother Madawaka. So I don't really want to be that guy. But if you want to follow me on social media, my handle is at Lebefon Music um, on just about everything like Twitter, Instagram, which is um, hold on, I can't spell out of my <laughs> my thing real quick so it's at dun, 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 dun. l-e-b-a-s-f-o-n-d-m-u-s-i-c <laughs> awesome and can you say it one more time for folks um l'obéfond music I which is it. thank you i just wanted to hear you speak french that's why i asked you to do it again <laughs> Because I just love hearing French. Um, awesome. 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 Well, folks, you can follow this podcast and all of our podcasts on the Onstage Blog Network at onstageblog.com, which we now have a full staple of shows that are going. It's it's finally growing into exactly what I wanted. So we've got multiple podcasts up there. We have The Ripple Effect, which is all about influencing movies. We have uh, Desperately Seeking Entertainment. We've got It's a Theater Thing. Nobody's in New York. We're, we're just firing on all, all similars right now. So this has been amazing. Um, you can find this podcast on Podbean, Spotify, and now iTunes. So definitely make sure. And also, anytime you're listening on iTunes or any of these other networks, give us a rating, preferably five stars, because it helps our algorithms and things like that and really gets these podcasts out there. So definitely check on that as well. And of course, if anybody's interested in doing these podcasts, hosting these podcasts, please email us and let us know because we'd love to add more shows to our growing network, which has been amazing. Melody, thank you so much. Thank this you week. for this having me. <laughs> All righty. And we will see you folks next week right here on the Movie Musical Shakedown where we'll be doing, well, I can't, I actually probably can't tell you what movie we're doing yet because I, I haven't decided yet, but it'll be good. I promise. <laughs> see you next week, folks. <laughs>
you want to know why I shot the bastard? 